0: The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings, starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motocare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available at 7009-1000. We're going to be reading verses 1 down to verse verse 14 together. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 down to verse 14. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accused, accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. Whose are the fathers of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came? Who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Verse 5. Not as as though the word of God hath taken none effect. They are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not, this, or not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father, Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither have done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid.
1: Good morning we'll be in the book of Romans chapter number 9. I'm so thankful that he gave himself In our place, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of the sword, nay, in all of these we are more than conquerors through him that loved us so. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for you and I. He gave himself. I'm so thankful for that. We'll be in Romans chapter 9 this morning. I plan to cover verses 1 to verse 14. But before. Formed into the image of his dear son. And so when I say more than conquerors, please don't hear me saying things like God takes these things and will change them into a fat bank account. No, that's rubbish. The only ones who purport that kind of a doctrine are the ones that are trying to get you to give them money. Just think about it. The preacher who stands and tells you, if you will just give, then God will give you many things. I want to ask, where is their giving? Why is it that they're the one who's getting rich and nobody else is? Rubbish theology. That's not what the Apostle Paul says here. He does not say God will take away all of the sickness and make you rich. That's not what he says. I want you to hear me well, church. Please don't come and think that if you serve God that He will make you rich. No. Hear it clearly. He might allow you to go through those seven things in verse 35 or those ten things in verse 38. Principalities and powers might just give you a hard time, but they will not separate you from the love of God. And He will use those things. You might remember all through chapter 8, every time He said, those things, that's the phrase, those things. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He is for me. I can trust Him. I don't have to let these things shake my foundation. For I know that they will not last forever. He is for me. And you can trust Him. He takes them and exposes those parts in your life that are not like Christ. And He allows you to trust Him. You can trust Him, brothers and sisters. You can trust Him. He always holds his own. Always. He always holds His own. And so that brings me to a question, and the Apostle Paul, very same question as we come into chapter 9, and that question, you already see it, what about Israel? You can't get away from that question. If you're going to logically follow through chapter 5, I am justified by faith, because He sent Jesus to take my place. Then chapter 6, I'm raised in Him, and my life is different. I don't have to be a servant to sin anymore. And chapter 7, yes, I might struggle, but I can have victory over sin. And chapter 8, all of the bad things that come up in my life are to make me more like the image of Christ. Christ. And if you follow that logical thought process, he will not let you go. He will hold on to his own. Then the natural next question is, well, what about Israel? And he's going to take chapter 9, 10, and 11 to handle this. Now, church, let me help you with something. Within our cultural context, you end up on one pendulum swing or the other when we talk about Israel. Israel. On one pendulum swing within our cultural setting, one pendulum swing is, oh, embrace everything about Israel, because if you bless Israel, then you will be blessed. Be careful, you're falling back into that I get rich theology. That's where that mentality comes from. Can I give it the name that we give it in the bush? Cargo cult mentality. If I just do A, B, and C, God will give me millions and millions and millions. That's cargo cult mentality. So we just change it and add Genesis 12, verse 3. I will bless him who blesses you and curse him who curses you. And we say, oh, if I just bless Israel, then I will receive God's manifold blessings upon my life and I will be rich. Stop defining blessings with money. Stop it you want to know what blessings are, dive into Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. That's the definition of blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with manifold blessings from heaven. His spiritual blessings upon our life. Oh, if you want to define blessing with a Kina value. You've completely missed the fact that the greatest blessing that could ever happen to your life is that Jesus went to the cross for your soul. You make it to heaven. It doesn't matter how much money you had in your bank account when you died. It doesn't matter. You tell them to bury you with all your riches. What good is that going to do for eternity? So stop defining blessings with money. You want to know what the blessings are? Oh, God has saved my soul. That's a huge blessing. And for the rest of my life, I can be right with God. And I don't have to live in sin. That's a huge blessing. So when you read the word blessing in the Bible, think in those terms. Please don't buy into... That wasn't in my notes. Please don't buy into this rubbish thinking that says, oh, if I just do good things to Israel, then God will do good things to me and my bank account will get fat. No. Because what you end up doing is you end up spending the rest of your life trying to figure out how is it that I can bless Israel. And I watch churches in Papua New Guinea who are poor and cannot afford to pay their own pastor send love offerings to Israel who is one of the richest countries in the world. Makes no sense to me. On one side of the pendulum swing is this idea that if I can just embrace Israel and I can just do everything good that I can to Israel, God will somehow cargo cult fill up my bank account. And then the other end of that pendulum swing is one who says, well, we live in the New Testament and we need to just forget about Israel. That's another end of the pendulum swing. And if you're not careful, you'll end up in a Nazi racist mentality that says the Jews rejected Jesus, we reject the Jews. Be careful, guys. The pendulum swings both ways. And just as much as that one is wrong, so also is this one wrong. So be careful that we don't end up on either side. So the Apostle Paul is going to address what about Israel? He's going to take three chapters. We'll take two months. Eight weeks will take us to walk through this. And so I want to encourage your heart. Please don't sit back and go, well, I'm trying to figure out What is it I need to do for Israel? And please don't, on the other end of the pendulum, sit back and say, well, this doesn't apply to me. Because it very much does apply to you. Because here was the question. If nothing separates us from the love of God, and God has given His promises to Israel in the Old Testament, and they're very clearly there. If God has given His promises to Israel, and now Israel is not right with God, and God is open to Gentiles, well, what about... Israel. Didn't God give them promises? That's the question. And I'll just shoot straight to the answer. God always fills his promises. You can bet on it, and he's going to use Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 to prove it to us. God never forgets his promises. He always fulfills His promises. He always holds on to His own. And even today, while you might think that maybe God has forgotten Israel, He's still God and He has not forgotten Israel. By the time we come to the end of chapter 11, He will make it very clear that God is not done with Israel. Even though it might seem that way. God always accomplishes His purpose. God always keeps His promises. He never lets go of His own. Something else that I want to point out as we're coming into chapter 9, because there are good men who fall on different interpretations. I'll explain where I'm coming from. If you know theology, I am a dispensationalist. If you don't know what that means, it's okay. You didn't go to Bible school. We went to Bible school and paid big money so we could learn these big words, all right? You don't have to worry about it. But what does that mean? Here for me, this is how that practically applies. I do not take chapters 9, 10, and 11 to show that the church is Israel. I will say that very clearly. The church is the church. God made specific promises to the church. Israel is Israel, and God made specific promises to Israel. Therefore, the promises to Israel are for Israel. The promises to the church are for the church. We do not get to reach over and claim those Israel promises over to ourselves. That means that we have to take a literal reading of the text. So as I read chapter 9, verses 1 down to 14 and study them, I study them literally. I do not take an allegorical approach where we say, well, this must mean that. We do this, by the way, with the rest of Scripture. You remember the Genesis account. In six days, God created the heaven and the earth. An allegorical approach to that would say, well, science says it took 17 billion years, so therefore we'll maybe let science speak, and God maybe He meant six days, but really six days were 17 billion years. We take the creation account literally. There might be things we don't understand about it, but I will chalk it up to He is an all-powerful, all-knowing God who is able to do whatever He wants to whenever He wants to. Therefore, I'm going to take that literally. Also, when I come to Romans chapter 9, I'm going to take that literally. And so I'll say it very clearly. We, the church, are not Israel. We're not. The church has its own promises Israel, a very specific people, has their own promises. Began in the book of Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham called out to become a mighty nation. As a small group, they went into slavery for 400 years. Went in as 70, came out as 2 million. They crossed the Jordan into the promised land. And none of that is us, church. We have our own promises. So when Jesus teaches us, pray for your daily bread... He did not promise daily bread. He promised daily bread through manna to the people of Israel while they were walking in the wilderness, but He did not promise that to us, church. He did tell us, pray for it. Trust Him. And on those days when He says famine comes, it's okay, because we know that in these two, in these things, we are more than conquerors. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. One more thing before we dive into the text. I just need to hit this because I believe it applies culturally. It does not matter how you try. You cannot fit that we in Papua New Guinea are somehow the lost tribes of Israel. It does not work. No matter how you try to study it and twist it and change it, Listen, I am not Jewish. Jesus, you ready? Jesus was not a white man. He also was not black. He was Jewish. The Jewish people are very easy to identify. They live in the Middle East, they're Jewish. And it does not matter how hard we try, we cannot twist it and make it come back around. I'm American. Brother Phil is Australian. My wife is a Native American Indian. She can tell you her own Timbuna stories on her own time. And the majority of us are Papua New Guinean. Some of us are more Papuan, and some of us are more New Guinean, and some of us are New Guinea Islands. And yet, by and large, none of us are Jewish. And So we have to be very careful People who are trying to do that I'm Jewish thing are doing their best to try to come back to that cargo cult mentality to bring in, I'm going to receive the blessings. They've misdefined the word blessing. It's trying to help us, church. Sometimes it takes a little bit of us stopping and looking at these things. Now let's dive into the text. Uh, One other thing I do want to say is, you might have heard the song when you were in Sunday school, Every Promise in the Book is Mine. Anybody hear that song, Every Promise in the Book is Mine? It's not correct. Because there are promises to Israel that are not promises to the church. Therefore, some of those promises are not yours. But God will give you promises, and He always keeps His promises. Keep in mind as we walk through verses 1 to 14, keep in mind that God made promises to Israel and he always keeps his promises, and we'll see that in our text today. Look at verse number one, Roman, uh, Romans chapter nine, verse number one, Paul gives an introduction here. He says, I have chances. They've had so many chances. For thousands of years before Christ, the nation of Israel received so many chances, and he's going to outline it in verses four and five. See it in verse four. Who are Israelites? My heart yearns to, even if I can be possible, be accursed so that they can come to Christ, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever amen. So he lists out eight things. I'll walk through those eight things very quickly so we can have a glimpse back to how important this was. God had done many things for Israel, and he had done so many things and given them so many chances. And I see here in verses 4 and 5, I see eight blessings that he has given to them. I'll walk through those quickly. The first one you see in the list in verse 4 is adoption. Adoption. Three times in the Old Testament, God makes the statement, I brought you up as my own son. One was Exodus 4, the other is Deut- Deuteronomy 7, and the third one is Hosea chapter 11. He makes the statement, you are my son, and specifically he uses the timing of him going to Egypt to bring them out as his son. Think with me for just a moment how that worked. So when God called Abraham, it was Abraham population 1. That was all there was for Israel. And then Abraham had a son, Isaac, and then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. We see those later in the passage. And then Jacob has 12 sons, and then those sons have children. By the time the nation of Israel, and I'll use air quotes because they're so small, the nation of Israel goes to Egypt, there is a total population of 70. And in the next 430 years, they're in Egypt, under slavery, God does a miraculous multiplication of their families, and it is in a geometric progression that will blow your mind. In 430 years, they went from population 70 to population 2 million. So that when they come out of slavery, you want to talk about God blessed, they come out of slavery as a mighty people, two million people come out of slavery and God does the miraculous and parts the Red Sea and sends the plagues and he visits them and he brings them out in his own words. Exodus 4, Deuteronomy 7, Hosea 11, three times he makes the phrase, I brought you out as my son. He's adopted them. That's what Paul's making the statement here. Let me draw your attention to Deuteronomy 7. You'll see it on the screen. He makes a statement here in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And then in verses 7 and 8, he explains why he did that. It's one thing for God to say, I adopted you. It's a completely other thing for him to add on why he did it. It wasn't because he thought that they were cute people and he thought that they looked really nice and they would bring glory to him. No, he wanted to display his own glory. So here it is in verses 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and get these words, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn, sworn unto your fathers... So why was it that God adopted the people of Israel? Why did He adopt them? Because He'd made a promise. And God always keeps His promises. This is a theme that we'll repeat all throughout Romans 9, 10, and 11. God always keeps His promises. And one of the ways that we know it is because of the adoption of Israel. He said, yeah, you went in and you were 70. You're coming back out as 2 million. But I'm adopting you as a son because I made a promise to your fathers. The second thing that I see in this list, you can see in verse 4 also, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory. The glory of God was shared with Israel in many different forms, sometimes in the pillar of a cloud, sometimes in the presence of smoke. The one that most often comes to my mind when I think of God displaying His glory to Israel was through the Shekinah glory, That was in the holiest of holies. Inside the tabernacle, you remember, the most secluded place within the tabernacle was the holiest of holies, and there was the Ark of the Covenant. And the two seraphim with their arms and wings spread forward, and their eyes glancing down upon the mercy seat, the abiding place of God upon the earth, and from there came forth the Shekinah glory. Within the holiest of holies, there was no lamp, no candle, God Himself was the light. Moses, you might remember Moses on Mount Sinai, asked God the phrase, show me thy glory. I want to see your glory, Lord. And God said, you can't handle it. No man can handle the full presence of the glory of God, for it will consume you. Do you realize nobody else got this? Israel only. And if you remember the rest of the story about Moses seeing the glory of God, God put Moses into the cleft of the rock, covered him with his hand, walked by and removed his hand so that Moses could glance upon the backward part of God. And it said that when Moses came back down off the mountain, his face shone so brightly as it were, the moon reflecting the light of the sun. You can imagine as Moses' face reflected the glory of God upon his face in such a brightness that the people asked, please, will you cover your face? Because we can't handle the brightness. Can you imagine the moon being so bright that you can't handle its brightness? And here's Moses reflecting the glory of God upon his face You see, the glory of God was not a small thing, and God gave it to one people, Israel. He gave him so many chances. Later, the disciples got a glimpse of it on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember Peter and James and John? On the mountain with Jesus, and Jesus changes transformed in the glory of God upon Jesus, and the disciples never forgot it for the rest of their lives. Oh, if you can get a glimpse of the glory of God, brothers and sisters. Israel got that on a regular basis. Oh, how easy it is for us to think little of the glory of God. They also received the covenants, you can might remember this one from Genesis chapter 12, the calling of Abram. Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3, the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. That's a covenant. God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make of you a great nation. Now notice it wasn't because something Abraham had done. It was simply only because of who God is. God says, I'm going to do this. I will bestow it upon you. Your children turn their backs on me. I will still make of you a great nation. And I'll take you into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. Make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. This is a covenant from God. to. Abraham for the nation of Israel, and that last phrase has affected every single person on the planet ever since then. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That happens because of Jesus Christ. For through Abraham came Jesus, and every family on the earth has been blessed because of that blessing. And then also, God made a covenant with David. That was 2 Samuel chapter 7. This was a covenant having to do with the kingdom and who would sit upon the throne. I'll read for you verses 10 to 13. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 10 to 13. Moreover, he's saying to David, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them. that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Sliding to the end of the verse. When thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. David, after you die... I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and here's the phrase, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The fulfillment of that prophecy, that promise, that covenant is yet to be made. For right now Israel has no king. However, there is coming a day when the King of kings and the Lord of lords will sit upon the throne in Jerusalem, the Son of David, the Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ will take up His rightful place, and that covenant will be fulfilled. You see, God never forgets His promises. And He will follow through. One of the things that was given was the covenant. Another thing that was, has been given was the giving of the law. You see that in verse 4. And we could spend all morning talking about the significance of the giving of the law, the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea as they left. As they came to the Mount Sinai, you can just imagine what all was involved. God saying to the people, don't even approach to the mountain and touch it. Keep your cattle away from the mountain. And there upon the top of the mountain, thundering and lightning, and God Himself gave the law. Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 10. Moses recounting the story. He says, The Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. Can you just wrap your mind around how blessed it would have been as a people to receive the command of God? Not just spoken, but written with the finger of God. That's something that they should have held on to forever. This one doesn't go away. This is ingrained in us. Oh, God has given them many chances. He also gave them the service of God. You can see that at the end of verse 4. The service of God. I take this to refer to the ceremonial sacrificial system that God had instituted, that sometimes to kill a lamb, at other times to kill a turtle dove, some other times to offer wheat, and sometimes to kill a bullock. And every offering had significance, and every offering, if you were to study the book of Leviticus that outlines how to do the offering, when to do the offering, who to do the offering, all of the details, you will see that every single one of them points to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. And God gave that system to the people of Israel. And then last in verse 4 is the promises. Many of those promises of God to Israel were fulfilled in the Old Testament. However, some of them remain to be fulfilled. One of those promises that I think of is the one that was given to David in 2 Samuel that we just read a moment ago. The fact that he would establish that kingdom forever and ever And for about 2,500 years, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, were exiled from their own land. God had promised them land and a kingdom, and yet for 2,500 years, there was no land upon which the people of Israel would say, this is our land. If you were to ask a theologian about 100 years ago, What do those promises of God to Israel mean? Most likely, he would scratch his head and say, I don't understand them either. And yet, in 1948, God in His sovereign providence saw fit to give land back to Israel after 2,500 years that they did not have their own sovereign country. And now, from 1948 and going forward in history, the people of Israel live in the land of Israel, the nation of Israel, and they are guarding that land with their very lives. Surrounded by nations who want nothing more than to push them off into the sea and demolish their cities, yea, even this week. Missiles being launched into the nation of Israel because there are so many people who do not want it to exist, and yet God has made a promise to His people, and He will keep His promise. There is coming a day when all things will be made new, and the King of kings will sit upon His throne. God made a promise. He always keeps His promises. As we look into verse 5, Number seven on the list of things that have been given, blessings that have been given to the nation of Israel, is the fathers. It was a gift of God that was given unto them. And you just think of the people who they, as a nation, look back on in their history. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. These are great patriarchs to their nation. They're the fathers of their nation and ones that they look back on. Can you imagine what it will be like when we come to the final day and God brings perhaps Elijah and Moses is what it looks like in the book of Revelation. Can you imagine what it would be like as those two come to be witnesses to Jesus Christ for the nation of Israel? Oh, how quickly they will turn, for they will be hearing their own fathers. These are a blessing that God has given to the people of Israel, and nobody else got those. And then lastly in that list is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. See in verse 5 quickly, whose are the fathers, that's the nation of Israel, you had the fathers, and of whom, out of Israel, of whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came. Jesus came as a Jewish child, born to Jewish parents grew up in a Jewish home, going to the Jewish synagogue, knowing the Jewish law, died at the hands of Jewish chief priests and Pharisees. And he says, God has blessed you. And you and I know that they rejected Him. John chapter 1 makes it so clear in verse 11. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. God gave them so many chances. Not only, did that, not only did He give them many chances, another blessing that He gave them was the fact that the people of Israel were chosen so specifically. They were chosen very specifically. You can see it in verses 6 down to verse 13. Verse 6, Not as though, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, but they are not all Israel which are of Israel. He's going to make a very pointed statement here. Just because you think you're Jewish doesn't really mean that you're Jewish. For, oh, how many of the Jewish people, even the ones that he's calling out who have rejected Christ, how many of them would say, oh, I'm right with God because of my birthright. I was born into this, therefore I get this. Then they would go and live like a wicked devil and consider themselves right with God just because of what ethnicity they were born into. And Paul makes it very clear. No, 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 no. That's not how that works. And I think perhaps the best example of this is the time of Ahab. Do you remember the time of Ahab? Ahab and Jezebel? Wicked king, wicked queen. The people following after the idolatrous Baal. And there's Elijah. And Elijah stands to proclaim it's been three and a half years since it's reigned. And he proclaims there is no God but God Almighty in heaven. And God makes a statement to Elijah because Elijah thinks that he's the only one in all of Israel that's still following God. And God makes a statement to him. He says, no, wait, I've reserved unto myself 7,000 prophets who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And here Elijah realizes, I get to be 7,001, and we are true Israel. For we are following God, and the rest of them have turned their back upon Him. And do you remember what God made a promise to his people in Second Chronicles chapter seven? He said, "If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven." That's a specific promise to Israel, brothers and sisters. God's people who had turned their back against him, he says, I will listen to you, I will hear you, I'll take you back as my people. But if you are not listening to God, Jewish person, you are not of Israel. And then he gives us a very specific example. He says, All right, if you want to look at it that way, going forward in history, have a moment and look backwards in history. See it in verse number seven. Verse 7 says, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are of the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. So he gives an example. He says, if you want to think of it going forward, Elijah and onward, that's fine. He goes, here, let me give you an example going backward. Think back to Abraham. And he says, Abraham had more children than just Isaac, and those other children were not the children of promise. They were the children of the flesh. Abraham, deciding that he's going to do it his own way, when he was 86 years old, and he has a child named Ishmael. That one's not a child of promise. And then later when Sarah dies, he marries another woman named Keturah and has children by her, and none of them are the children of promise. God chose His people Israel very specifically. Now let me pause here, brothers and sisters. Be careful. He's talking about Israel. There are promises to Israel and there are promises to the church. Be careful about trying to grab these things and bring them to us. No, He's making a statement to Israel. So Israel, don't try to apply this right now. It will make your head spin. He's making a very pointed application at Israel. Israel, if you turn your back on God, he hasn't turned his back on you. He will fulfill his promises, but he's waiting for you to come back to him. So in this, he says... I only chose Isaac, I promised Isaac, all the rest of them were children of the flesh. And he goes, even beyond Isaac, it continues to be very specific. See in the next verses, verse 9, For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also hath conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said of her, said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. So here's the statement. God's very specific in the way he chooses this lineage. Again, please don't try to bring this to us in the church. He's making a point to Israel. Israel. God chose you specifically through Isaac. And then further after Isaac, He chose you very specifically through Jacob. And it wasn't because something Jacob did. Jacob and Esau, verses 12 and 13, he makes it very clear. Jacob and Esau were still in the womb of their mother. They haven't had a moment of consciousness where they can think, I love God and I hate Satan. They don't have a moment of that. They did not do any good works in order to be chosen. While they were still in the womb, God said, I want that one, and that one I'm going to leave for divine judgment later on. This one, I'm going to use him. So God chose the nation of Israel specifically through Sarah, Abraham through Sarah, to Isaac, Isaac through Rebekah, to Jacob, not to Esau. And that is God's divine prerogative. He gets to choose what he wants to choose. He made that statement very clearly in verse 11. The children, not being yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. What's that mean? It means God gets to choose to do things the way God wants to do them. And if you live your life thinking I did A, B, and C and God owes me, you're going to live your life hating the way God chooses to make your life go. But if you'll back up and say, I... Live and breathe and have my movement because the sovereign God of the universe is in charge of all things and He brings good things to me and bad things to me and even those bad things when they come are for my good so that everything that happens in my life is for my sanctification so I'll be more conformed to the image of Jesus. So God gets to choose how He does it. And He did that with Israel. He chose... Isaac chose Jacob. He gets to choose who he wants to. And he had chosen the people of Israel very specifically. The people of Israel repeatedly turned their backs on God, but God did not forget his promises. He never forgets his promises. So then we come into verse 14. What shall we say then? Is their unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Is God sinful because he chose to use Isaac and Jacob, and he did not choose to use Esau? He is not unrighteous. Absolutely not. God forbid. He gets to choose however he wants to choose. Oh, Israel, you've been given many opportunities. Oh, Israel, you've been chosen very specifically. Oh, Israel, God has given you promises. And I want you to see this last one. The family of Israel was not even temporarily forgotten. Was not even temporarily forgotten. Salvation is now open to whosoever wills. Gentiles from all over the world can come to God through Jesus. That seems to be a change in the way that God is dealing with Israel. But friend, God has not forgotten Israel. He was not unrighteous to select Israel, and He is not unrighteous to allow whosoever will may come. Oh, I'm thankful that He has chosen to allow us to come. And He has not forgotten Israel. He has not dropped the family of Israel. Instead, He's making the family bigger. Even though Israel has rejected Christ, Christ has not forgotten them. And unless you think that you've got it together and you look down upon the people of Israel, remember that it was not your goodness that caused God to choose you. Don't look down upon the people of Israel and say, see, they turned their back on God, so God came and got me. You were not a lost puppy dog that he thought that you were so cute he brought you into his fold. No. He chose And all the glory goes to Him, not to me in the slightest. For He is the Sovereign. And I am so thankful that He would ever stoop down for me in my lost sinfulness. Apart from God, I deserve hell. And you do too. And yet, He sent Jesus to the cross to take my sin. He who knew no sin took my sin. He became my sin so that I might receive the righteousness of God in Him. I didn't deserve that. He chose it. And He decided that that's what He was going to do for you and I. So friend, please don't ever for a single moment lift yourself up in some kind of pious I'm so good, and God loves me so much that He chose me. No, 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 no. It's not about you in the first place. It's about Him in the first place. He paid the hardest price ever. So I used the word at the beginning of the service this morning, I used the word posture. Can I close with the word posture? I wonder what your posture is about God. I wonder how your posture is as we think. There's a guy by the name of Fonsi that lives there. Fonsi has been, he lives literally down the corner from where the mission station was. I would see him on a regular basis and invited him to church many times during my 11 years that I lived there. I would talk to him about his need for Jesus and some of his extended family members' began to come to church and they began to get saved but he always remained on the outside and then when I went to Kodidunga just a few weeks ago we had a meeting with the church on a Wednesday afternoon and on that Wednesday afternoon I noticed that Fonzi was in the church service he was sitting in the back So afterwards, I made a point of going and sitting down next to him, and I asked him, Hey, Fonzie, have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? He said, Oh, not yet. But me no stop a long way now. Now me come close to. Laboring in travail. Through the next few days, Dad and I talked about Fonzie's spiritual condition. On that Sunday morning, Dad preached... And when dad preached, he gave an invitation and asked, if you'd like to put your trust in Christ, would you look at me? And Fonzie was one of the only ones to raise his head and look at dad. After the service, dad and I chatted for a few minutes, and dad said, I need to talk to Fonzie today. And on Sunday afternoon, dad and Fonzie sat down at the table, my old house in Korilanga, and Fonzie put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have no doubt Fonzie will be a major part of that church going future. But that's a result of many people in Kodiranga for many years saying, my heart's desire is that my family member would come to know Jesus. And over and over they asked him. And over and over they told him. And so maybe you're already in that process right now. And maybe you're already doing it. You're asking and you know. If I ask him one more time, he's already going to look me in the eyes and tell me I already know what you're going to say. Ask him again. And maybe you've gotten them to the point where they come to church and they hear the gospel, and maybe the gospel just hasn't sunk in yet. Encourage it. Keep it going. Or maybe you just haven't given it a second thought yet. And so maybe this morning I might encourage you, Would you think like Paul, my heart's desire, even if it's possible? And it's not. But if it was possible, God, let me take their place so that they can know you. Guys, we exist to bring glory to God through knowing Christ and making him known. So let's not let him not look good. Let's shine a bright light on his glory. Father, thank you for your goodness towards us. I pray that your name would be glorified in our lives and in our hearts. I thank you for being good to us, such a glorious God. You did not turn your back on Israel, and you've made promises to us, and so we know that because you've kept your promises in the past, and it is your nature to keep your promises, we know that you will continue to keep your promises, and you will keep your promises to us as well. I want to thank you, Lord, this morning for the example that is Israel. And even though for some of us, they may be stories that we've heard a hundred times in Sunday school and they seem like they don't have application, but now today I want to thank you for those stories coming in and application into the New Testament. Yes, God is always faithful to keep His promises. I pray that you would help us as we think of those who are our kinsmen according to the flesh. I pray that we would be faithful to share the gospel with them also. For it's in your beautiful name I ask it. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on seven double zero nine one thousand. 1000
1: Again, it's seven double 1000